the thing I'm most passionate about in my life beyond, you know, the work that I get to do is helping people over the broken rungs. And part of the way that you do that is you look at the universe of diverse potential leaders and you bolster them and you tell them that in their diversity lies their strength, that they can take pride in how they've come to the ways that they think about that. Welcome to Elevate Your Career, the podcast dedicated to empowering individuals from all walks of life as they navigate the ever-changing landscape of their chosen fields. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of professionals from various career stages to uncover the secrets behind achieving success in any industry. We'll explore how they achieve their career goals and the paths they took to get there. Your host is none other than Nicole McMacken, CEO of the Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, an award-winning information technology solutions and staffing provider. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to Elevate Your Career. I'm Nicole McMacken, and I am elated to have Stephanie Causey on our program today. Stephanie is a leader in transformation for none other than IBM. If you want to learn about an exceptionally strong person with a backbone of resiliency and drive to succeed, this podcast will blow you away. Stephanie, I am so excited to have you today. Welcome to our program. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and see where our conversation takes us. Me too. Me too. So uh, for our listeners, a colleague of mine had met Stephanie in Phoenix, actually, and she was getting her second time award at the HMG CIO Summit for uh, the award, I think, in particular was HMG Strategy Global Leadership in 2023 award. Is that right, Stephanie? Did I get that right? Yeah. It's the Global Leadership Institute that HMG Strategy has put together. And it was, yes, the 2023 uh, Leadership Award. It was my second. I got the first one in 2021. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. And I know you did a um, panel. I did. At that summit as well. Yeah. Uh, I was up there with with Hunter Mueller, who is... uh, the HM in HMG. <laughs> He's uh, the founder of the organization and a couple of other CIOs who, uh, one of whom was actually a great friend and another one who I met that day up there talking about, you know, how to be leaders in this uh, crazy world we live in today. Well, and you are in the leadership team as well, uh, currently at IBM. Is that correct? That's correct. I am part of IBM's transformation and operations organization, specifically focused in change management, but not your old school way of thinking about change management as just kind of, uh, you know, communications and training. Uh, As I love to tell people, I create cults, not agents. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> um, we all need more of those, actually. Uh, yeah. So it was it was interesting because I remember uh, when Valerie, my colleague, had called me up and she had said, "I just met the most interesting woman on the planet. 
She said, and you have got to speak with her and she has got to be on your program. And I want you, she said to me specifically, go to her LinkedIn and take a look. And I remember right before when we had our conversation, I looked through your LinkedIn and I thought, okay, she is not joking. And you are the most interesting person. (laughs) And even from your LinkedIn, I took away so much. So all of you, if you wanted to go take a look at Stephanie's and it's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E, Causey, C-A-U-S-E, and you'll get some pearls of wisdom. S-E-Y. S-E-Y, S-E-Y. Make sure you get it right. Right. And you will get some pearls of wisdom just from looking at her LinkedIn. So I, we talked and I thought you are incredible. And um, for all of our listeners here, I want to just jump in. And the first thing that we spoke about was Southern, right? Your Southern roots and, you know, lessons learned, lessons gleaned from that, you know, share, share, you know, with our audience a little bit of, you know, how you started and, and your lessons of, you know, the South, right. And, and how you draw that into your current day work environment. Well, um, it's funny because I I have had a rather interesting path and probably most people are surprised that they hear a little bit of the South in my voice, but I spent a long time making sure that that Arkansas deep drawl was not in my everyday language. My mother was from Kansas and I was not allowed to use those words ain't and y'all around her. I would get the back of my head smacked if I did. Uh, She was determined that I was not going to be some kind of Southern belle sitting on the front porch. That was not okay with her. So I learned very young that I was going to be my own person, that I didn't really fit the typical Southern female. I was too smart for the jocks and it was too pretty for the nerds and was too outspoken for most anybody, never did really learn how to shut my mouth. <laughs> and, and I really never learned how to do what I was told. So, um, yeah, I, it was a very interesting path for me. And so I, I learned early that I was never going to fit the mold. So I was going to have to figure out how to do what I needed to do. I... You talk about my LinkedIn profile. I spent many, many, many years first in the South, starting my career there after making some interesting choices when I was young and becoming a mother before I graduated college and becoming a single mother before I graduated college. And then meeting my husband now of 32 years who looked at me and said, you're too smart to do what you're doing now, you need to go back to school. And I found that one Southern gentleman who was perfectly okay with the fact that he was going to be able to follow me wherever I wanted to go. So he really was the one that helped me recognize that the father, or as I love to call him, the foundational male in my life, who should have been bolstering me, And instead, pretty much taught me I was stupid, I was fat, and I was ugly. Mm. That, yeah, well, you know what? I don't do regret. Yeah. And I like who I am. And clearly, you don't do victimism either. I don't. 
Yeah. Because I could have, I watched my sibling choose very different paths than I did. I was the accident baby. My mom, when she was, when she was happy with me, I was the best accident she ever had. When she wasn't, I was the runt. <laughs> I was quite a bit younger than uh, my siblings. And mom also said I came out observing the world. I wasn't the one that had to make my own mistakes. I was okay learning from others. And I watched my siblings make not so great choices and realized I didn't want to be like that. And that's not the life I wanted to live. But when I was 17 and not making the best choices and was really more focused on, I just got to get out of here. I made interesting choices. Next thing I knew, I was 22, single mom, two small kids, making $9.25 an hour. And luckily, that's when I, I met this incredible man who was the first one in my life that went, who has been lying to you? Because none of that's true. And he spent the next two years convincing me that none of that was true. Now, I still have a voice back here that I beat into submission now, but it had a huge influence for most of my life that, you know, used to tell me all the time that that was true. Not so much the, the stupid, because I always did well in school. I had a lot of outside confirmation. I wasn't stupid. The fat and ugly, that one was a little harder to overcome, but it all kind of coalesced into the the likability, the fear of judgment. So I spent a lot of my early career in the South choosing work that fascinated me, but was male-dominated. I mean, I, I chose accounting as my major, didn't like it, ended up double majoring with IT, which I really enjoyed. But in Memphis, the industries are all male-dominated. And back then, so was IT. Sure, sure. So I'm this little five foot four opinionated mouthy woman <laughs> who never did understand what my job was supposed to be, nor was I interested in domestic anything at all. So my husband, being the mania, said, wherever you go, whatever you need, that's what we're going to do. So we went out west. I spent 20 years out west, Oregon, Arizona up and down the West Coast, building my career, still battling internal demons. And I won't say I've totally overcome the imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I think so many people, Stephanie, can relate to imposter syndrome. Although statistics oh, yeah. say it haunts more women than it does men. But I think the last statistic I read was from a general population, it's 86% oh, yeah. of individuals suffer from imposter syndrome. And I think to have someone, whether it be a friend, a spouse, uh, a partner, a colleague who is by your side, and what essentially he was doing was building your confidence that you can go oh. and you can do, and I'm here to support you. You know, and it's funny because. I, throughout my life, I've known women who, it's like they were born confident, or at least they played it well. And, uh, you know, I've known, you know, my own family members who 
never have found even the, a smidge of confidence. And I was always able in the workplace to pretend confidence. Because I, again, I always knew I was smart. So as long as I was in that context, I wasn't afraid. And that's one of the things now that I, I get to hyper-focus in this change and transformation world, which is what I love, I, I get to focus in on like the underlying psychology behind resistance. Why people don't buy in to something that you may know is going to make their lives easier, but they just resist. And it's the emotional side. It's the it's fear and it's uncertainty. And as long as people live in that fear and uncertainty and they can't connect in a way that they can see how it's going to make their lives better, they're always going to resist. Do you feel that in your climb, in your career, oftentimes I see people are afraid to look your word stupid or dumb or unknowing or mm -hmm. uneducated around the topic. How did you, having this fear inside of you, how did you overcome that? Were you, and still to this day, are you okay? For me, I'll give an example. I always ask questions. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it was interesting. I was on a, um, a call with uh, 10 gentlemen uh, just two weeks ago. And me, I was the only woman on the call and right. they were all pitching me and had to do with some finances and all these, these different things. And I'm looking at them and I'm, I'm laughing to myself because, you know, they're the experts and it was an expert attorney, it was expert in finance, investing in these. And I just said, you know, I, I don't know as much as you do. That's why I'm here. Can you help mm -hmm. me understand? Or if I don't know something, can you help me understand? But there's a lot of fear and you know, of other people's judgment, right? How, how did you overcome that? And in the workplace, how did you, as you climbed, you had in the back of your head or you pointed earlier and you said, sometimes I still have figuratively speaking, you know, some of those things going through my mind, but then you charged forward. How did you do that? Well, the, the one thing I've never questioned is my ability to learn fast. I can gobble up conceptual ideas and, and visualize the end state very, very quickly. But the one thing my mom gave me that kind of offset everything else was, yes, you're smart, but you're not better. So she taught me to be humble. I love that. What a lesson. Well, because she can't walk around stomping on other people and, you know, I actually had a coach tell me once that you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. And I looked at her and smiled and said, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when it's obviously going in a direction that it's uh, everybody's being a lemon and lemming and following someone off the cliff, I'm not going to. Sorry. Right. Not happening. Right. Right. So the, I have always known that about myself. The other thing that, I knew unequivocally was I had two kids and they were dependent on me because their donor, <laughs> best thing I can come up with, was 
let's just say in the dictionary next to a certain phrase and was not someone that could be dependent on. So if I didn't want them to grow up like I did and and have to scratch and claw for everything, because nobody ever handed me anything, I had to fight for it. If I was going to give them at least a better foundation than I have, I was going to fight for it. And that was kind of that first push I had that was outside of myself. It was like, I have to try because if I don't, there's nobody else that's going to give it to me. Right. And you've got two young children at stake, right? They were three and four. Yeah. They were three and four when I went, I was working full time and going to school full time. Yeah. And there's no, it took me six and a half years to get my undergrad. So my entire twenties, big blur. Don't really remember them. There's pictures, <laughs> but I don't really remember. And so I knew I had to take risks. I knew I, when somebody asked me if I would try something, the one thing I knew for sure is nobody stepped into the next role, got promoted, whatever, knowing everything. Right. That is hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes. Nobody knows everything. Ever, ever. Ever. Exactly. And I think that is such a good message when oftentimes I, when I'm coaching um, people within their careers, they're hesitant and reluctant to apply for a position because they don't think they have all of the facets of the job. Right. And I tell them, not you're never going to, probably even when you're in the job. Right. You're, it's just, you're going to learn it. You're going to be asking for guidance. Nobody has every facet of every different job out there. So yes, I'm so glad to hear you saying that because that's something that's a real challenge and you've got to push yourself. Absolutely. I mean, statistically, you know, male versus female, men only believe they have to have about 60% of the, the requ- job requirements in order for them to take the leap and apply. Women, 90%. Yes, yes, that is very true. And it's it's across the board. And believe me, there are times I'll look and go, yeah, I don't think that's me. But I force myself to apply. I force myself to take that next step because you never know. You never know. Now, I will also say that once you get to a certain level, if you're applying, nobody's going to talk to you, right? I mean, once you get to certain levels, if you're applying, you're in the wrong part of the market. But the other thing I've learned along the way is if you're saying no, or you're not even in the conversation, then there's a very strong possibility that that next big leap for you passes you by as soon as you shut the door. Yes. 100%. I couldn't agree more. So if you're not if you're not networking, if you're not talking to people, even if you are 1 million percent happy in what you're doing, you never know. Yep. And do you know how often I talk to people? Obviously, I own a recruiting firm. And so I had a call Monday Actually, I it, it's every week and it was a high level executive and uh, he and I have been in contact and actually their firm is, is uh, it's a customer of ours. 
And he had said, you know what? I, after 20 years, he said they ended up downsizing and my salary was, you know, too much and they let me go. And he said, I Mm -hmm. never thought I would be in that position. And I was speaking to him and I said, you know, it's, and he said, you know, my biggest challenge is I, I didn't really pay attention to my network and nurture my network. And I said, well, because you were too focused on your job versus your career. Right. And uh, I share with people all the time and Stephanie, everything you're saying rings so true to me because, you know, your network, your network is equivalent in my mind to your net worth, right? And I'm not talking about 5,000 people on LinkedIn. What I'm talking about is real network. That means colleagues, that means family members, that means you having LinkedIn individuals that you reach out to, but not a thousand. You know, there's a bunch that know you and your brand and who you are. And if you're not Mm -hmm. focused on always, no matter what age, your career, these things stifle you and happen. And it's oftentimes at the higher level, recruiters are not going to, believe it or not, find you that next job. Your network is going to find you that next job. And I think that's what you meant about when you said at that level, when you're at a certain level, it doesn't matter about your resume or you're applying to a job because it's your network that's going to be placing you. The people that say, Stephanie is amazing. I vouch for her. I've seen the work she's done. I've heard her in speeches. I've seen her push the envelope. I see her when she's afraid to do something, lean into it. And I think all of those are truisms. Well, and it's funny that, you know, we circle back to LinkedIn, LinkedIn which is where we start. That's right. <laughs> And the the one thing I've I've seen happen over and over and over again is you have to set yourself up to be seen as potential for X. Like you just talked about, you know, might not be right for the person the recruiter calls. But that's how recruiters find people. By calling someone, you know, it's like a daisy chain. Well, I'm not looking, but I know this person. And then they go look at look at the LinkedIn profile and go. And one of the reasons why my info section is the way it is, is for me, it's a screening feature. I have gotten the extremes of I love it or crickets. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. I have to tell you. And both sides are equally valuable to me because the I love it are people who culturally I'm going to connect with because it's me. It is not just my brand, it's me. And believe me, if you don't like me, I don't, I want to hear crickets from you. Because that tells me culturally, the organization you lead is not one I want to be a part of. Because that's the other thing. I need to be a part of an organization that is looking to transform, that is looking to do things differently. That is looking for someone who's going to push people where it hurts and is going to be okay with that discomfort. Well, and diversity and thought, right? Is that, I mean, exactly. First and foremost. I've, I've recently, you know, in the last few years, we, those of us of a certain age, we start realizing that uh, we don't want to be patted on the head anymore and we want to get answers. And recently started 
finding out that I've also got a neurodiverse brain. So um, I don't think like other people do. And I check a lot of boxes. <laughs> One of my favorite things nowadays to say is, you hire me, I'm your diversity checkbox in a, in a lot of different ways. <laughs> so I know where I'm going to fit. And I know where I don't. And I'm okay with that. Right. But that also means- Because it's got to be okay for you, right? And I think oftentimes, sometimes in the market, and you're looking at companies and you're so interested and you may see a company and you say, I want to be part of that company. But it's not until you really get to understand those people that you realize, is that company really what benefits you? and what you are about. And really, I think the most successful individuals that I've come across in my career have been really great matches for their individual companies because it's their personalities represent the company's personalities oftentimes, right? right? And I think that it's, it's so important. Are you enjoying the episode thus far? We'll be right back after a quick word with our sponsor, Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC. Are you ready to thrive in the ever-evolving tech industry? The tech world is constantly changing, and ITC is your partner for navigating it successfully. Whether you're seeking top-tier tech professionals or the perfect opportunity, we are happy to connect you with talent to transform your business. At ITC, we specialize in placing first-rate, diverse technology talent into corporations with a particular focus on underrepresented groups in tech. We believe in bringing new perspectives and ideas to your team. Together, we can contribute to a more innovative technology industry. Diversity isn't just a buzzword for us, it's in our DNA. Whether you're looking at bringing on more tech talent or you're a tech professional searching for your perfect role and employer, look no further. Take a look at www.irvinetechcorp.com and pick the best option for you. Be part of our mission to create a more inclusive and innovative technology industry. Once again, it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. Now back to the show. I wanted to talk a little bit because it was interesting because you do have a, you know, a little bit of a Southern, Southern accent. And, and when you had shared with me, and I believe it's in your LinkedIn and we're as we're discussing fitting in into cultures, right? And diversity and a diversity of thought is when you you first thought, I gotta get rid of this accent. And it was it was super interesting to me because a dear friend of mine, uh, she was a president of a very reputable large organization. And as she she was coming out of uh law school and uh interviewing, she was from Kentucky. And so when she was interviewing at, at this firm, the the gentleman said to her, and again, this is 25, 30 years ago, putting back, right? When people would just be this blunt, they're not, well, oh, sometimes yeah. they are now, but they, they're, you know, if this would have happened Sometimes today, I wish they were. <laughs> if this yeah. would happen today, it would not have. But she was telling me the story and was coincidentally after you and I first spoke. And she said, you know, I said, you have no Southern accent. I said, I didn't even know you were from Kentucky. And she says, oh, no, I've worked on it. She said, because the first interview I ever had, a gentleman said to me, he said, you need to lose your accent or you're not going anywhere. And she worked so hard to lose that accent. And to me, I thought, 
when we're talking about corporations and acceptances and and thought and diversity, to me, I like that. I it shows me that we are all from different places and we all have different backgrounds and lives to contribute to whatever the subject matter is, right? And so to me, I know you worked hard, but you still have it. And it's because I think you're probably in a place that promotes that, right? That you feel comfortable being you. Well, it's easy to say that we own it and we are proud of who we are when you've arrived. Mm, It's good. It's harder when you're in the position your friend was in, when you're just trying to get started. Yes. And one of the things that I actually connected with your colleague on was what I do now that I've achieved a certain level of success. I'm not done yet. You know, I'm not, not, you know, walking up to the grave. <laughs> no, I'm still kicking dirt ahead of me because I'm not ready to, to, to finish that path. But I, I have achieved a certain level of success. And the, the thing I'm most passionate about in my life beyond, you know, the work that I get to do is helping people over the broken rungs. Mm. And part of the way that you do that is you look at the universe of diverse potential leaders and you bolster them and you tell them that in their diversity lies their strength that they can take pride in how they've come to the ways that they think about that. Like I've recently been talking a lot about organizational change methodologies, things like that. And I see that there are, it's, it's almost like there's a, a scale in the center is you know, on one side is the head on the other side is the heart. You know, there's the, and it's also like, human-centered design, design thinking type, there's this, you know, kind of a, I can't think of what to call it, but there's like this slider. And you'll meet people that either tend to be more towards the, the theory and the psychology behind change, so head, right? And then you'll, on the other side, you'll have the people that are more on the emotional connection side. So heart. And rarely do you find people that are in the middle. Guess what? You're in the I middle. live on both. Yeah. I live on both sides yeah. of my brain. Yeah. It's part of that neurodiversity. So, you know, I'm not on the autism scale where people tend to be all on one side. I am able to fire both sides of my brain at the same time. And is that how you, what helps you deal with chaos? It is. Because not only am I creative, I'm logical. So I can see the path to solution, the steps that we need to get to, but it's so far outside the box, it's not something anybody's ever seen before. Yeah. And what do you what do you recommend for because from what I'm understanding, you're saying one is typically logic, one's emotion right? We, as people typically lead with one or the other Mm -hmm. and, and how, and what words would you, how do we get to the middle or how do we become more balanced or, or if you're a really emotional individual, 
How do you curtail that? And and likewise, if you're very logical but need more emotion, right, to lead, what is the advice? How how do you create that? So the best piece of advice I can give any leader, know your weaknesses, not your strengths. Know your weaknesses. And then go find the people that will shore those up. Have a strong enough sense of self to not be threatened by the people that are strong where you're weak. Because when you hire them, you get to a truly exponentially more powerful team in the end. And they teach you what you need to know to be better. Be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Oh, and vulnerability to me as, as an aspect of leadership is how you truly achieve the full power of exceptionally high-performing teams, right? So you hear this aspect of you know, everybody wants these high-performing teams and high-performance culture and high, but what they don't acknowledge is that for as long as there's been work, in corporate America, we have culturally, especially here in the States, done everything we can to separate home and work, right? There's no crying in baseball. How many times have you heard that? That's right. That's right. We have a baseball fanatic here, so we hear it all the time. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, and then of course, women invade the workplace. And all of a sudden, there's tears, right? There's emotion. And male leaders are like, oh, God, no, I can't, oh, I can't lead women. And then those of us that begin the upward trajectory feel like we have to shut that side of ourselves down because it is genetically something that women are more caretakers that we tend to be more emotional, tend to, but I don't know about you, but me, I spent a very long time emulating the male leaders around me. I thought I had to be them to become one of them. And it wasn't fun. I can tell you that. I hated it because I'm very empathetic. I am very focused on the human that is inside the resource. Matter of fact, I used to get in trouble for talking about people instead of resources. And I'm like, but they're human beings. Right, right. I have an issue with that too. I hear it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me as well. We do in corporate language. We come up with all kinds of words and we keep changing them, but they're still dehumanizing work. But not so long ago, this crazy thing happened that forced home and work to collide in a very short period of time. And you had leaders who then had to acknowledge that there was no separation anymore. And their previous high performers, all of a sudden, weren't as high performing anymore. And they didn't, they thought, well, it's because they're working from home. No, most of the time it wasn't, but they didn't trust you enough to tell you that their parent just died and they couldn't do anything about it. 
because they couldn't leave their house. Right. Not being vulnerable. Right. 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 And because I had acknowledged a few years prior to that, that I was basically the mentality was making me physically ill. So I stopped trying to be something I wasn't and started being who I am and celebrating it. I went from being successful to where I am today, much happier. So I, you know, I spent so many years being somebody I wasn't trying to fit this picture that I saw and then that voice in my head, which I forgot to say, sounded suspiciously like my father. I tried to fit. And then I realized why miserable. I hate it. I'm just going to be me. And that it was like the chains were ripped off. And I went from being unhappy to happy to being myself and authentic and vulnerable. I love it. And my career took off. I went from being to having very severe anxiety, social anxiety, believe it or not. That same event I met your colleague at, the first one I went to, I stood in a corner and wouldn't talk to anybody unless they approached me. I, I couldn't even walk up to vendor tables because it was that strong. It took me two years, two of those. The third one was the year I decided it was time to change. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's that decision. It is. And it's pushing yourself and making yourself uncomfortable each and every day because that's how we grow. That's how we grow as humans. Exactly. Yeah. And now I know all the, well, I, I like to say I, if it's a, a Fortune 500 company based somewhere in the U.S., I probably know the CIO. Good. It's good. Because of that. Because of it. You pushed, yeah, you pushed yourself. And I, I build high-performing teams that know that I'm a servant leader. They believe it and are awarded for it. I mean, that's why I get awards. It's not because, you know, I do. It's because my team is empowered. My team does. Your team does because you have. You've empowered those individuals. Stephanie, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to do a fun game for our audience for you. Okay. So many learning lessons here, but we're just going to do just a one word phrase and you tell me the first thing or phrase that comes to your mind, family. My husband. You have a love for. Life. You are deep rooted in. Wow. Reality. Nice. Nice. Success. Happiness. Your next step in life. Forward. Love it. Stephanie, you've been amazing. Really amazing. Thank you. So much to learn in this discussion. And I'm appreciative. I'm so grateful. And please, everyone, please connect with Stephanie. Look at her LinkedIn. It's incredible. I think you'll all see some value. And I love make yourself uncomfortable. Absolutely. Say yes. And make your, yes, say yes. Say yes. What's the worst that can happen? Thanks, Stephanie. You're welcome. I agree. I agree. (laughs) 
I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Elevate Your Career podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, excels at finding top-tier tech professionals and matching them with businesses. Whether you're an employer with tech opportunities or a tech professional searching for the perfect role, ITC is your go-to solution. Visit www.irvinetechcorp.com for more information. Once again, it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. We'll see you on the next episode.